Hi, this is Erica Spiegelman, and on this episode of Rewired Radio, my guest today, Dr. Sheila Shalati. Children, uh, abused adults, get re-enter into abusive relationships. They re-enter into that trauma cycle and they re-enter into that interaction because their brain has become pre-programmed to elicit and require that interaction in order to feel normal. This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. We talk a lot about trauma on Rewired Radio, what it is, how it affects our lives, and how we can process and heal from it in healthy ways. My guest today, Dr. Sheila Shalati, is on the cutting edge of trauma treatment. As the Chief Operating Officer for Seasons Recovery Centers, Dr. Shalati has spoken at venues around the world on topics including teenage suicide, dual diagnosis, and PTSD. Dr. Shalati is here with us to talk about her work with trauma and about eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, also known as EMDR. It's a treatment which is designed to alleviate the negative effects of traumatic memories. And it's really quite popular at a lot of treatment centers these days. So Dr. Shalati is here to address that and what that's all about. And we're so happy and excited and grateful to have her on. So Dr. Shalati, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Erica. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, there's, I mean, this is so, it's it's so amazing to have somebody with so much experience like yourself. And, and also, I, I, you know, I met you and I know how uh, dealing with trauma and helping people deal with trauma is such an authentic, um, an authentic path for you. So can you tell us a little bit about why it is important for you that you address those, um, address this issue with, with the clients that you serve and treat? Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to. I mean, you know, I think when you're going through, for instance, I'll give my own experience of grad school and the way that you go through your internships and the trainings that you receive and, and the role that trauma plays in a lot of uh, behavioral and emotional functioning, we kind of see it as this kind of separate experience, separate from the whole sense of self. And as I've kind of gone through and in my experience um, in treatment uh, and treating others and being able to facilitate um, the growth and the development of various programs, particularly here at Seasons in Malibu, uh, we, we really see it as contextually as part of the whole underlying uh, and probably most significant risk factors for a lot of individuals that are struggling with their chemical dependency and or mental health uh, concerns. So, you know, we kind of see it um, not necessarily as a separate issue and a separate thing that really has its own kind of um, category, but it's, it's a vital piece to understand how we define trauma, how we integrate it into treatment, and how we perform, um, you know, in a way for them that allows them to also have the insight and develop the tools and not being able to recreate kind of these traumatic experiences that do that, uh, particularly um, when they're kind of in their cycle of addiction, if you will. So my path in understanding trauma and certainly being exposed to it on a variety of demographics, you know, uh, with the lowest of the socioeconomic status all the way, you know, to I think uh, what we would consider the 1%, if you will, uh, the impacts emotionally, physically, behaviorally really have no discretion. 
And it is, I think it's the, the key component in any kind of treatment setting to really recognize and understand how that consciously and unconsciously affects the way that we manage in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make sure that we address for everyone listening that understands this. When you say, you know, not treating trauma as something outside yourself, it's it's more of like what it's part of you and it's part of, of, of the the treatment that every individual should be getting if they have had, uh, you know, an experience with dependency or addiction. But I wanted to just bear, I just wanted to kind of break this down. There's a continuum of trauma, right? So everyone, everybody has dealt with some kind of trauma in their life. And, and I know, especially with my clients, I don't want them to minimize the certain things that maybe have impacted them, like being bullied or maybe made fun of or having a learning disability, all the way to obviously very severe trauma, physical abuse, emotional abuse. So I just want to clarify that for everyone listening that, you know, no matter what, what we're talking about today, I think applies to you, the listener, because I think at some level, we've all been through trauma. And I know that there's a continuum. So could we just talk about that for a moment? Yes, I'm, I'm so glad you're qualifying that because we as a society, even as kind of clinicians, traditionally kind of have this uh, textbook defined experience of what is a what is trauma, you know, right. and we want it to be held on this type of pedestal that, well, it's only this important if you've gone through something this um, exactly. dramatic, if you will. And that's not a fair... I don't think that's a fair association for anybody, you know, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that if we can really look at and examine and explore the ways that, um, you know, uh, the, the variety of traumas and mm-hmm. redefine, it's really about redefinition, right? It's really about yeah. looking the scope of what is trauma. Can we expand that scope? Can we expand that lens to something that supports our understanding? And frankly, what the literature and research has supported on some levels that you know, we could be traumatized as soon as being in the womb of our mother, of our biological mother. And there's research to support that. So I think it's about um, invoking a certain level of education very early on for people to recognize and not minimize um, how that experience, that interaction, that family relationship, that school relationship, that um, the relationship with your animals, you know, all these various aspects of how we're impacted, um, we really need to widen that lens. There's no doubt about it and start treating it. You know, it's not, I don't want to say treat it kind of like the same way because we we like to, uh, again, kind of have these what I call high-impact traumatic interventions and responses, which are very mm-hmm. appropriate for some of those. But on the, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, understand it's okay to seek support and, and gain uh, the, the interventions you require if you're grieving from, you know, the loss of your pet, the, the right. you know, the feeling of abandonment because your older brother left for college, the, you know, uh, watching your, your parents, uh, even though they were great parents, but, you know, perhaps they didn't give you the boundaries you needed. So that got recreated into acting out later on. And, and we're giving it a narrative, right? Giving people a language to that. And, And that's where therapy you know, I've seen a lot of great therapists. I know a lot of great life coaches. Um, you know, I know a lot of uh, addiction counselors. And it's so beautiful, I think, when they start shining that light for people, you know. Abs- and absolutely. Start, yeah, and start really exposing that relationship between their experience 
And if we want to identify and, and qualify it as trauma, if you will, I think people get, you know, it's kind of like the word addiction, right? People get very scared of it. They're like, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no, I, I didn't go through trauma. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think right. it's also uh, in, uh, exploring the possibility of inviting the, the word and the definition of trauma as something is more palatable, something more normalized. Um, versus something that makes you unique and special and, and different and, and um, you know, something that requires to be fixed, you know? Absolutely. And that's just not the case. Yeah, and, and I like what you said about it's because the language is so important in giving people a narrative and a language for this. And if trauma doesn't resonate with you and it's something where, you know, you don't want to be labeled as having a traumatic event or having trauma in your life, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really love to, to explain to clients that trauma is just a dysregulation of the nervous system. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's what it really is to a degree um, or exactly what it is. So it's it's like when you've been dysregulated, whether that's someone made fun of you, you got in a fight, your parents divorced, you, you know, were repressing something in your life, whatever that is, it's your nervous system being nervous all the time about something, being anxious, uh, stress, like that kind of thing too. So um, it's like, you know, I always explain this to, to people too. It's whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter as long as you understand that it's something that people can relate to, that there's help out there for it. You're not alone in this. You don't have to be in denial of it and that kind of thing. Because once we deny that part of ourselves, we're really not, you know, honoring who we are and our story, like you said, and we're not leaning into our story. We're resisting our stories. And I think we that's are, dangerous We're avoiding too. it. We spend right. so much energy in this process of avoidance, and right. it's not until something goes wrong that we go, oh, wow, maybe I should pay attention to this. Exactly. Um, and categorically, you know, uh, again, we have a lot of work to do on just the basic groundwork level in our communication from parents to teachers, um, from relatives, in in identifying and supporting, educating, understanding, um, and and using uh, trauma, uh, again, as part of normative language. And again, I think Mm -hmm. trying to pull away from uh, demystifying it in a way. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. and we really, it's like you have a crisis happens and you have these trauma counselors that come in, you know? And so we kind of associate it with there has to be a crisis in order for you to deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening most of the time and, and what we see uh, later on here uh, within the treatment setting is that, you know, by that point it kind of gets too late because they're already deep into their addiction or they're deep into, you know, right. um, the, the physiological and or biological uh, cognitive, uh, mental health related issues that are associated with that because your brain is working so hard to avoid the experience. Your brain is working so hard to remove the likelihood that you're going to feel that same effect and that same pain, but instead all it does is drive you to attempting to recreate that. And that's when we start kind of getting into this the trauma cycle. I mean, there's a reason, and and not the only reason, let me qualify that, but there's a reason where you see a lot of abused children, uh, abused adults, you know, get re-enter into abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. And they re-enter into that trauma cycle and they re-enter into that interaction because their brain has become pre-programmed to elicit and require that interaction in order to feel normal. You know, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's about reprogramming that through various 
uh, interventions. And it's, it's, we're living in such a beautiful time now where we have so much access to resources, whether it's through the Internet, whether it's through social media, whether it's through uh, local practitioners. But this is a great time for us to be able to expand the knowledge base and the understanding of what and how trauma can be um, treated. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think what we were talking about, too, is the acceptance of trauma, like looking at it like you're accepting it happen instead of resisting it. And I know one of those treatment modalities that really helps with that is EMDR, which is something I mentioned earlier. It's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, (laughs) which is no one knows what that actually means. But EMDR is what we call it. (laughs) Yeah. Say that 10 times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That'll wake me up in the mornings. Um, Yeah, exactly. But it's it's been so useful for clients. I've seen it really change people's lives. And I I want to get it out there today in this conversation so people do understand what it is, if it's useful for them, how they can possibly explore it. Um, And, you know, I know there's many modalities, like you said. There's so much going on. And I think it is one of the most hopeful times to to recover from whatever it is that's ailing you. But um, can we talk about EMDR for a moment? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think that there's, again, talking about changing the conversation and the dialogue, even amongst clinicians and how we Mm -hmm. identify um, the use of trauma interventions, particularly when it comes to kind of acute short-term treatment settings like we are, you know, where we typically Mm -hmm. have clients on average from 30 to 90 days. And there's there's this kind of fear and or appropriate, I should say, appropriate clinical concern that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we do certain interventions like EMDR or brain spotting, for instance, and I could speak to that a little bit, that there is going to be this kind of re-traumatization and um, and kind of uh, this you know way that the client only categorically starts uh, declining as a result, um, and we haven't quite gotten them to the, the level of stability they need to be. And there is a there is a particular truth and importance to that. So I think before we get into like everybody getting EMDR right off the bat, there is yeah. a specific an important, um, I think, assessment that needs and requires a client to be at a certain kind of baseline level where we know that they can manage and handle the intervention and that you're not going to see the level of destabilization that one would traditionally be concerned. Because you have, you know, you you have kind of both ends of it. You have the, the true, you know, trauma clinician that goes, absolutely not, I won't touch it until client has six months, eight months, you know, and are exhibiting yeah. X, Y, and B behaviors. And, right. you know, that's that's fine and good and important and relevant for those clients that meet that criteria. On the flip side, you know, you very well can have a severely traumatized client, but they do exhibit the level of, of um, baseline behavioral, emotional management. It doesn't mean that they still don't act out and have the physiological responses, but they do have the, the ability to manage the activation that might go on within the session and subsequently uh, be able to self-regulate thereafter. So I think I want to I just be clear. It's like we're not kind of um, uh, just 
going at it here with every client and saying, okay, great, everybody gets this and that's what it is. We do take it, we do take the intervention seriously um, and so seriously that, you know, all of our doctors and practitioners here are certified in EMDR, which is a, it is a long-term certification process. It could take up to a year um, and it's something that requires a very unique skill set. And early on when I came on board here at Seasons in Malibu, um, I did see the need for it and, and encourage and urge and in collaboration with the clinical director everybody got on board with it which is you know it's just thrilling because it's um, we're seeing the usefulness of it so the application within our treatment setting um, really uh, is as soon as you know the the therapist and the treatment team uh, assess and determine they they have uh, the level of stabilization that can meet the intervention and to put it in a nutshell yeah. EMDR, right? It's not scary. <laughs> but it's not it's not as scary, you know, like people no. are like sitting out there listening like what is this thing, you know? <laughs> we're putting electrodes on your head and yeah, we're pressing no, buttons. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly. Let's just alleviate everyone's fear right now. It's, it's Exactly. Not, yeah, it's it's not it's not something that is scary and and, and something not anybody should be fear, fearful of at all. So, yeah, let's, Not let's, not at all. It's yeah. not invasive. Um, and we don't, you know, it's, it's really, you know, when we have, when we have a traumatic event and or experience, if you will, we store it in certain parts of our subcortical brain, you know, and Mm -hmm. it kind of clumps into these channels in our brain. And when we recreate those events, we only strengthen the, the channel and we strengthen the storage of that, you know, so it only reaffirms what we already know about our experience around trauma, hence the recreation of trauma through our Mm -hmm. lifetimes. So what EMDR does virtually is it creates a way through eye movements and sometimes through auditory cues. You may have, you know, uh, uh, headphones on, but they Mm -hmm. are subtle and um, uh, ways in which the left and the right hemispheres of your brain start communicating. So virtually Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do through EMDR is find a way for the brain to start clearing these channels. And what the uh, what the research and the evidence supports that as you kind of go through these processes and as your brain starts communicating more, you actually are kind of taken through this, um, uh, you know, again, not scary, but very safe emotional kind of experience where you're starting to clear out the trauma. So you may feel, you know, some of that anxiety come up. You may feel some of that anger come up. You may feel a variety of emotions while you're sitting in the sessions. And the practitioner does a very um, careful job of ensuring that you kind of have a resource point in it and that you're, you're safe in the room and that there's an experience where they know how to kind of guide you in it, if you will. And then they're assessing throughout the course of this intervention you know, how you're kind of feeling and how you're handling it. So you're not kind of left with all these, you know, raw emotions and then we don't kind of close it back up again. The great thing about EMDR is like it's a way of kind of peeking in, you know, seeing how much uh, you're willing and able to surrender to, if you will, and Mm -hmm. and kind of take it in and start clearing that channel. And, And, 
you'll know once that channel is cleared because of the level of activation that is um, being exhibited and or what's being communicated in the room. And EMDR is not meant as a long-term treatment intervention. You really can get, um, you know, some real therapeutic effects from EMDR truly as as early as your first session. But -hmm. generally speaking, most practitioners typically like to do about eight to 10 sessions. Um, Some like to do more and some like to just do it periodically as a way of maintenance. So it just kind of varies, I think, on the personal philosophy and how somebody's benefiting from it. But here at Seasons, we like to try to get in a minimum of uh, four to six sessions if possible. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, just from an anecdotal point of view and what we've seen in the outcomes, the individuals that participate have had far greater success and addressing their addiction because they don't have the level of activation, compulsion, the need. It doesn't mean EMDR doesn't take away a memory. It doesn't take Mm -hmm. away the fact that you may be affected by by something. What it does is, is it minimizes and reduces the physiological and emotional and behavioral response to that stimuli. Right. Right. Which is so powerful. You know, so I want to be, you know, clear here. There's, it's not a method of taking these things away. It's a method of just you being able to recall that memory and it not creating the level of anxiety that it once did, you know. So, so through the process of clearing these channels, you know, I kind of like to think of it, you know, when you have a traffic jam and, you know, you clear up, you open up three more lanes and all of a sudden everything starts flowing through. It just activates the way for the brain to release their, it's, it's, death grip on that traumatic Mm -hmm. memory and experience that we have physiologically, physically, and emotionally been bound to. Right, exactly. And I've heard people even say, like, it's just, it's helped them change their story in a lot of ways, to to, to put it in simpler terms. Um, You know, just just the the kind of feedback that I have received from it. It just helps people really look at their trauma differently, and, and let them notice that it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't have to impact them the way it did. They were holding on to this story or they were holding on to something that wasn't helping them. Um, so I think it helps people release a lot in a lot of ways, which is, um, I think wonderful. And, and and I know also you've done a lot of work with teenage suicide and, and I mean, Mm. we could get into that. That's a whole nother show. I I think, but, um, but, but I did want to just shed a little light on this. It's just, you know, there's a lot of, you know, even though the stigma is being lifted on a number of things today, uh, sexuality, addiction, uh, you know, mental health, we're still plagued by it. You know, a lot of teenagers are still very uncomfortable with who they are. And not everybody has supportive uh, homes and supportive friends and, and, a, and a supportive community or environment. And I just wanted to kind of, do, do you think that this is getting, do you think it's moving towards a direction where people are finding help outside their communities? Or do you, do you still find that this is something that is getting worse and worse? Well, I mean, I think the uh, it goes back to what I said earlier about having access to information, right. you know, and I think growing up, you know, particularly, I mean, I grew up in the, in the 80s, uh, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have access to resources. I didn't have access to information. Why was I feeling the way I was feeling? You know, right. I don't understand. And, and I think everything from sexuality, you know, to just feeling like belonging and feeling a sense of, of safety, as well as suicide, suicidality, um, uh, you know, and, and tr- talking about trauma. And the, I think the advantage now is that a young kid could go, can go on their smartphone or their computer and and really be able to access communities 
communities right. they may feel a belonging to, communities, you know, uh, that they uh, can feel a place of healing. And I think society is doing a better job of finding ways to voice that sense of acceptance. You know, of course, we see it a lot in the LGBTQ community and the and and how we see it throughout various cultures, through our, you know, through the the gen, even gender acceptance, sexism. You know, p- people have a platform to which they can voice that sense of acceptance and how it really, you know, can get better, coined, uh, phrase uh, coined by Dan Savage up in Washington, you know, it, it really does get better. And being able for them to have a sense of hope, right? I think early on mm-hmm. when we think about treating clients, the, one of the first tenets you learn is how do we drive the installation of hope? For, mm-hmm. for clients. And I think when we think about teenagers where your brain is still developing, you're still trying to identify who you even are and what, what is your perspective on the world. And in a lot of cases, it's a lot of trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think by taking that experience and trial and error and being able to kind of throw it out there, see what kind of response you get, um, you know, again, going back to demystifying. So I feel strongly that we're moving more towards um, an avenue where we have more resources and we know how to access it, thank goodness, but we still have a long ways to go in, in managing the, the stigma and the stereotypes that go along with it. Yeah, absolutely. It won't just dissipate, disappear <laughs> forever. Yeah. But I do, I do really see a lot of people understanding that, um, that they that they can reach out for help. That there is counseling. There's treatment these days. There's there's so much. There's so many places that we can actually turn to. But at the same time, I still feel like people don't necessarily understand what it is to be authentic. And and they're still like comparing themselves. Just there's a double edged sword with social media. There's more resources, but there's also a lot of comparing. There's a lot of looking at, you know, uh, the, the the kind of highlight reel of people's lives and it makes and it makes teenagers feel bad and I know like this is another conversation which I'd love to have you back on for but you know I have a little cousin who she doesn't get enough likes she's you know she takes yeah. down her posts you know so <laughs> yeah. it, there's there's always there's always two two sides to every single issue and story oh. and I and I so appreciate you being on with us today and and, and, sh- and sharing your expertise and your passion and your drive and it's just been an honor so thank you and you could find Dr. Sheila Shalati at seasonsmalibu.com. That's their website, and um, I would love to have love to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a real pleasure. Okay, thank you so much. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. Remember to catch every episode of Rewired Radio. Just hit subscribe and rate and review us. Let us know how we're doing. This episode of Rewired Radio has been produced by RadioMD.com, award-winning health talk 24-7. I'm Erica Spiegelman. You could find me at Erica Spiegelman on Twitter. Also check out my show page at RadioMD.com for all my past episodes. Thank you for listening and stay well.